0: Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in government. Here's your host,
1: David Pembroke. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to In Transition, the podcast that explores the practice of content marketing in government. My name's David Pembroke, and I am truly delighted that you've given up some of your valuable time to be with me again today as we explore this very, very exciting practice of content marketing in government. Interestingly enough, ladies and gentlemen, over the last couple of weeks, we have started to see briefs coming out of Australian government departments about content marketing and government, which is really encouraging because I think the message is getting through that this is their future and this is where they need to take their practice of communication in order that they can engage with citizens so we can solve some of the big problems, not only here in Australia, but around the world. And hello to everyone there in Washington. The biggest segment of our audience is in Washington and they tune in on Sunday night. So hello to everyone in the States there. I'm glad that you're tuning in and please tell your friends we'd like to grow this audience. As I do each week, I like to start with the definition of exactly what it is that we're talking about. So content marketing is a strategic business process that involves the creation, distribution and curation of useful, relevant and consistent content, which is designed to meet the specific needs of an audience in order that you can achieve a desired citizen or stakeholder action. Well, this week, our guest is Alan Probert, who is the founder of the GovCom Group, but he's also a very experienced government communicator. For nine years, he was the Executive Director of Strategic Communications in the New South Wales Government, and he had responsibility not only for digital policy, but also advertising. And he looked after and managed the New South Wales Government and the New South Wales Premier's websites. And he had... All the approvals in the world for advertising campaigns and managing the whole of government media contacts. Prior to joining government, Alan worked in the magazine industry in Australia and overseas and was personally responsible for the launch of a number of successful magazines, including FHM and OK in Australia. As I say, he set up the GovComs group. He joins us today. I'm delighted that he's here. Alan, welcome and thanks for being in transition.
0: David, thank you. It's good to be here. Looking forward to talking.
1: Okay, Alan, what's your view as we sit here in two thousand and fifteen, about midway through the year, not quite midway through the year? Looking at Australian government communications at the moment, how well are we doing?
0: Oh look, David, I think that's a that's a fantastic question, uh, and I, I think the answer is is going to be a bit uh, oblique because. Lots of government departments are doing lots of great things. I think if you look at the work in particular of the emergency services, uh, they're embracing social media because they're finding that social media listening through things like Instagram in terms of uh, people tagging pictures is helping them to do their jobs better, particularly in times of crisis. Um, look at Service New South Wales and the recent announcement of Service Victoria. There's some really good customer-centric work going on ad- adopting new media. And then in the enormous business that government is in Australia and overseas, there are some pockets where things still aren't really moving as quick. And I think one of the challenges that we have in terms of, uh, of, of helping to accelerate the move is that government's a really big business. And, of course, what works in one department may not work in another
1: but doesn't that really open up the opportunity for content marketing when you consider that at the heart of content marketing is the identification of the audience that you are seeking to speak to and the ability to then consider and understand and ask questions so is that you're revealing their needs?
0: It, it's, 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 I mean, it's impossible to disagree with that. And, and what's interesting for me is that in my experience, the government departments that are most quickly adopting your modern tools to help them do their jobs better, are the people that are doing jobs that are most in the, if you like, the sort of FMCG equivalent of government, Uh, you know, the people that have to be fast in response, the people that have clear customer service delivery tasks. Um, But, you know, as somebody that's kind of got a bit of grey hair and been around this thing for a while, I remember it wasn't that long ago we used to post out questionnaires to people. And then have to wait what six weeks for them to post them back, and then another four weeks to get some bloke in the data delivery department to tell us what all the questionnaires said. The fact that nowadays it's very simple indeed to be having a conversation with your audience this morning is for me you know the the you know the widest open door there's ever been compared to you know being a marketeer. Uh, as I was, you know, 20 years ago and buying a Mintel report that was already two years out of date when he bought it. Yeah, But, but
1: this is the thing, I suppose. It's just the compelling utility of the new platforms and the ability to create or curate content and to distribute content. Why is it, do you think, though, that away from, as you say, the FMCG equivalence of government, why is it that there is a reluctance perhaps or a resistance to embracing the utility of this new technology and the ability to create, curate and distribute content?
0: Well, look, I think um, reluctance and resistance are two interesting concepts and uh, I do think a a bit too much time is spent on the sort of... um, you know, the sort of bureaucratic problem. And I think what we're seeing across governments everywhere uh, worldwide is that where a problem is there to be solved, whether it's, you know, the the, the group that's been formed in the UK or the work that's been done on the States, that people are enabling uh, uh, digital tools. One of the problems for government departments is that they aren't historically big collectors of consumer information. Um, you know, I have a little um, thing I do in keynotes where I... I, I ask people to describe all the different words that people use for the word customer in government. And, and in previous podcasts, you've talked about this notion of whether government people think they're in marketing. And whether they are or they aren't, the fact is what, they, what most government departments don't have is sort of 20 years of tracking data on their on their users' um, needs and um, wishes and wants and what all their lapsed users are doing, because there hasn't really been a need to collect that data. And, and it's out of that... Customer focus that better solutions come. So if you don't know who your customers are, it's actually, it's actually still hard to you know to, to work in, in in modern media if you've no idea who you're talking to. So I think there's a sort of a, a, a sort of needs must that drives change. But what I see really changing um, probably quicker than anything is this notion of putting the customer at the heart of things. And for me, what that will bring is a clarity around. Um, who are we trying to reach, and what are we trying to reach them with? The old, you know, why us, why this, why now uh, uh, thing from marketing from years ago. Um, that will help departments to be clearer about the communications choices they make. And as as we've both said, you know, it's already happening in 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 some of those uh, sort of more uh, emergency services type areas. And and a brilliant piece of work being done in New Zealand at the moment, where. Uh, the public have been asked to design a new flag for New Zealand and it, 1,600 people, its I think it's flag.co.nz, uh, 1,600 people have unloaded, uploaded a flag design to a government website in the last three weeks. Now, how on earth would you have done that without social media?
1: Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? It's
0: isn't a 15-year it? project without social media. If if, if anybody could be bothered, you know. But, but, um, yeah, 1,600 separate designs, and I commend every uh, listener to go and look at that site because it's the perfect example of real clarity with what you're trying to do means that all of the bits just fall into place.
1: Okay, so answer me this. Actually, I'm – I'll be, I'll be Government Department. I've just run GovCom's group and I've got you, Alan Probert, on the end of the phone and we've made yep. a time and now you've walked in the door and I'm saying, OK, Alan, i got a problem. I know I need to update. I know I need to become more citizen-focused. How, how do I do this, Alan?
0: Well, I... I uh, it- That's a question I do get asked very regularly, so I have a ready answer. Um, And and I've got two answers. The flippant one is, well, it depends. But the the better version of it depends is, what does success look like? And that's a bit of a, you know, those of us that have been around marketing for, for a millennium know that that's a very common marketing question from the 1990s. But I do find that too often people are embarking on campaigns because of the technology, or because of you know the, 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 the we 've got a website we don 't know what to do with it, I find that the first thing that I can do to help a department is to say, Give me an idea about how you 'd like the world to look in six months' time. You know do you want a dashboard on your desk telling you what your customers think? My experience is that ninety percent of departments don 't. Do you want one website that entirely extols your brand proposition of your of your department? And allows you to publish flexibly at any time of day and to respond to people. Yes, everybody does. Um, and the thing that's blocking that is that over the last fifteen years, and government's no different to anybody else, everybody's launched loads of websites. Uh, uh, I think every state in Australia is now has now admitted that they have you know more than three or four hundred separate URLs. So the first thing is is I do is is, is to say, tell me what it is. You know, the, the, what does success look like in six months' time? And, you know, it's a bit defeatist, but one of the th- first things I do is I remove the obstacles to doing that, which are often legacy systems, governance models, you know, the, the, the IT team still having the... The the authority about when something gets uploaded or not. Really, some of those things are are the best keys for helping departments, because to be honest, if a department's really clear about what it wants to do, and has uh, and has you know CEO backing towards it, then the application of the technology without making myself redundant is kind of quite straightforward. Yeah.
1: And uh, I'm interested also there that you talk about the IT departments. What's your experience at the moment about the evolution of the role of, of ICT and the engagement with the communications people?
0: Well, I think that's, the, that's probably the, you know, the, 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 uh, the nub of the reason why I left government to set up GovCom was because I felt I could do this stuff better from outside. Um, both of those roles, the, you know, the head of communications and the head of IT, Almost need renaming because they're so different to what they were five years ago. Yeah, and so you know the the, the communications role, which probably was centred more on public affairs and more on sort of producing press releases, and and annual reports and stuff, and the IT role, which was about you know having computers on people's desks and making sure the system didn't fall down. Um, there's a new world which neither of those two roles really. Um, uh, can specialise in one without the other, and so my positioning with all of my clients is that actually it all starts in the CEO's office, um, and so the CEO, you know, has a point of view about whether they want their website's content to be updated hourly, daily, weekly, monthly. Uh, CEO has a point of view about the social media position of the of the organisation. It's then the IT guys' jobs to provide the tools to. In the most simplistic way, in to provide the tools to make it happen, and the you know the most cost-effective, appropriate, safe, all those things, and it has increasingly become the, the comms guy's jobs to produce content that's compelling and interesting and engaging, and in line with the branding philosophy of that organisation. So really, and I think that's that's the that's the the, bit, the most significant difference about that is that both of those jobs are based on the organisation's communications and branding needs rather than the functional needs of serving, you know, distribution of press releases or or provision of IT services. But so- Entirely new roles and and lots of brilliant people in the IT area are, you know, coming over to, to the comms side and vice versa. Um, the best run departments I've seen are those that have brilliant people with both skills in the same room. Um, and there's a couple of departments in New South Wales where that's the case, and it works brilliantly well.
1: But what you're saying, though, is that the, the answer really is in the, the CEO's office.
0: Well, the answer is always in the outcome. You know, is it, what is it you're trying to do here? And, um, you know, there's a big difference between – I'm at risk of stating the absolute obvious here – there's a big difference between the provision of a tool like Facebook and the content that goes on it. And, you know, every CEO must be aware of the content that's on their Facebook page. They, they don't need to be the person deciding where it's hosted. Yeah.
1: yeah. But again, I, but at the moment, though, it's fair to say that, you know, the, the uh, organisational structures that are in place predominantly, and the, I don't think this is just in Australia, but I think it's around the world, is that you still have those traditional structures in place, and they are by far and away the dominant structure that is still in place.
0: Yes, and and I think, you know, the challenge that uh, that faces departments is, is is if you start with structure, then, you know, you build on what you've already got. And, and you know, I have uh, enormous sympathy but not much knowledge of, you know, the, the world of IT today because all I see is it's probably ten times broader than it was ten years ago, and it's probably going to be another ten times broader in about, you know, half an hour or so because it's moving so fast. Yeah. So, for me, it's all about organisational structure which says – um, because there are some, um, there are some government organisations for which um, front-of-mind, top-level customer communication isn't a priority. You know, if, if for some organisations, simply having all the information available to access might be good enough. Uh, it's not a given that every, every organisation has to be at the cutting edge of, of modern comms. But the point being, of course, that the structure of the organisation increasingly has to be designed around those needs. And as you say... You know, the, the, the fact of life is that most organisations are designed around a different model. Uh, and, and um, uh, you know, and my experience in the private sector is no different. What's absolutely no different, you know, the transition from print and paper magazines to publishing magazines online. Yeah, I'm, I'm still not sure anybody's cracked it, to be honest. But, um, you know, it's, it's not. This isn't straightforward stuff. So you've got to be, you know, you've got to keep on coming back to why are we here? What do we do? And what are the services we provide to our customers? And, and for me, the phrase that I that I found myself using most often at the, towards the end of my role in Premier and cabinet here was about improving service delivery, about making things better for people who are accessing our services. And um, yeah, whether that's shorter waiting times or going completely digital, you know, it's it's, it's a it's a needs basis, case basis uh, for each of the individual approaches. Uh, as I've said before, my my worst case solution is that somebody says "Here's how government departments should be run just it's
1: interesting as you're you're speaking, I'm listening to the language that you're using. just how well, important is language you You're not using citizen, you're using customer um, service delivery obviously is is well applied uh, in government because they understand about the delivery of services programs, et cetera. But just how important is language
0: well you know this is this is a personal opinion. Um, I don't think language has ever been more important because everybody's attention spans are shorter. Um, but I think it, uh, you know in ten years in working in government, probably one of the things that I had to most adjust to after twenty five years of working in you know commercial business, um, was that people start off expecting it to be hard. But your customers accessing government information start off expecting it to be hard, and so what I've found is just just simply by being, um, you know, straightforward about language, you can simplify things and and, and almost have a, you know, a, a a a doubly positive effect by starting off just taking out some of the language that makes things hard to follow and you know we all of us just want life to be easy and uh, and i think you know we're all of us are consuming more media than ever before um all of the work that i've ever done has been about you know making things easier to understand
1: okay i want to get back to our consulting session here where we've, we've solved the problem of okay we now know what we're going to do and we've got the the ICT and the comms people talking together and we've got a clear yeah. view about what's going on. So, okay, I want to get into this content marketing business. I want to really start moving. What do I do now? I've got all this content lying around. How, how do I assess what's worth it and what's not worth it and what's going to make the cut and what gets published and what doesn't get published?
0: Well, this, this is where it all starts to fall into place for me because, um, one of the one of the things that was very similar in working in the private sector to the public sector is is good time spent on deciding the strategic objectives of the organisation. And you know, the, 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 If the comms plan is aligned to the strategic objectives of the organisation, then the job of the comms person is then to choose the best medium for delivering that in terms of you know what that content might be or what that, what that ambition might be. And so the second thing I then look at with my clients, um, which is, again, another one of those kind of hangovers of the modern age, is I talk to them about their governance structures um, for what happens if they're going to embark in any kind of interactive media, um, what happens if somebody makes a comment at 3 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, or indeed in the middle of the night um, if they're... Um, inviting open engagement with their uh, with their content so I'm 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 always keen for people to get online always keen for people to invite comment and to you know as I always put it to start a conversation rather than do some market research uh, but the first thing I do is I just make sure that the department fully understands that before you take a step into new media you have to think about how you're going to manage it because again and probably stating the obvious to many of the people who listen to this podcast, but, but something I find I often come across with, with new departments, people haven't thought through the fact that actually they can't control what people are going to say.
1: And how do you how do you get over that problem? You know that whole risk averse, we don't want anyone, we don't want anything to go wrong and we don't want anyone to say anything, and this is what you know generally comes out of ministers' offices, mayor's offices. We just want to de-risk this completely. We want all the good side, but none of the downside.
0: Well, look, that's often where things going to a halt, um, because as a consultant, my only position I can take is to say you need to be forewarned and forearmed on this because all of my experience is if you try to pre-moderate content in any kind of media nowadays, the number of people contributing will significantly fall. And you you, you have to allow open discussion. I've got to say my experience in New South Wales in the last four or five years is that, yeah, there's a very, very There's a large willingness towards that because people understand that you learn through open discussion and there's less and less fear of what if somebody says something bad because again, in my experience, people don't, you know, people are kind of grown up about, about forums nowadays. So, um, yeah, What but what I do, and it's the reason I mentioned it, is that, is that I always alert people to the worst that could happen before we start, because I definitely don't want to be that person, you know, cleaning up the mess after an unforeseen thing has happened because nobody knew it would happen. And it's a reality that the, the world doesn't work from nine till five Australian time. So, you know, you really have to have a plan in place. Having, you know, people moderating content, you know through the night is sometimes in extreme situations, but I think largely you um, uh, uh, and again you know, many people listening to this will be very familiar with this but largely you moderate the way forums behave with language that asks people to moderate it themselves so you you know you you ask for respect um, and you you, know, you you give people clear indication of the sort of contributions you're looking for and my experience has been that whilst you know, government departments quite rightly are nervous about you know pu- public comment. Um, that actually, uh, if they can put the nervousness to one side and de-risk it, that then um, an awful lot of magical things happen. I, I was published, as you say, of have your say, the government's New South Wales government's community engagement portal, and we ended up, I think, we had something like 160 separate community engagements run through that portal. We'd have you know, mountain biking in national parks, all the way through to major policy issues. Um And of course, the whole point is you get information out of that kind of engagement that you 're not going to get anywhere else mm. so you, the the risk is worth it is a is a is a summary, but I always warn about risk on day one in the first meeting because if there's no appetite for risk then and, and some things you know some things that's the right decision
1: and in terms of building that support through the ministerial offices because the the reality of government is that you do need political buy-in at the mm. end of the day the political leadership ministerial parliamentary secretary mayor whoever it is has to buy into what is going on what do you do to try to achieve that buy-in
0: that that's um that's a really interesting question because I, as as i was thinking about the answer i you know it, my experience has been that anything that you're doing that has any risk involved with it has to be well-researched, well-thought-through and well-explained and with a real benefit. And too often the discussion is about Facebook or or about, you know, digital, heaven forbid. Um, My experience has been that when I go to somebody with an idea that has, you know, a clear purpose, a clear outcome with the risks clearly understood, then people at every level have an opportunity to say yes or no. And what I've, you know, basically what I saw as my job in New South Wales government was not to take up ideas that I didn't believe in myself. And I think that's, the, the, there's the nub. It's it's the job of the senior comms people nowadays to structure something so everybody understands the risks, but also everybody understands why it's a good thing to do. And uh, I was saying I was hesitating on my answer because what I was going to say is actually I found... You know, in, in the last four or five years in particular, ministers extremely supportive because, you know, we're increasingly working with ministers who themselves are people who've come to, to their jobs through the digital age, um, people with their own websites, people on Twitter, you know, so I don't, I haven't found resistance at ministerial level. In fact, if anything, I've, I've found that ministers are keen to use new media because it's such a great way of finding out what people are saying. Okay,
1: back to the consulting session. We've gone sure. through the preliminary uh, parts of the process. We've got the buy-in. We've we've uh, alerted to everyone uh, to the risks. We've we've got everyone heading in the right direction, and really going into. Your earlier answers you know you keep returning to this notion of the customer and understanding the needs of the customer what's yeah. your technique or what techniques do you use to discover those real key insights that's going to drive the content program
0: well that, that's a that's the uh you know, the same um, $64 million question is in all marketing. And I think, you know, you, the, the, the difference nowadays is that you kind of learn every day. Um, for me, it's probably based on a, on a product or a service. And so if you're announcing a new service that you've already decided you're going to provide, then, you know, that's where your uh, content can invite people to comment. But more commonly, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of this idea about um, putting uh, stuff out for public debate and using... You know, new techniques compared to, you know, we all of us have, have sat, waded through questionnaires to take half an hour to fill in. I think the notion of the two and three question questionnaire is, is, is underused and one that I find works very well in government. You, you go out and ask a couple of questions and then a couple of weeks later you ask a couple more. With the caveat, of course, that some government websites um, you know, in Australia and probably the same worldwide are getting a million hits a month. You know so there 's an audience yeah, out there who, it's not like you're talking to the same person every day yeah. um, so I think if you look at something like transport info the um, the transport for New South Wales website that basically shows you how to get from A to B, you know a million hits a month well you know if you could if you can have a little pop up that asks a couple of questions um, so it for for somebody who's kind of started his marketing life in research it 's almost a dream where you sort of ask two questions today and two more tomorrow. And then there's a sort of um, sort of a zeitgeist thing, which is which is that sometimes a, a, an idea comes together through a combination of, you know, technology and an idea. There's a brilliant thing in New South Wales Health where people can can find out the average waiting time at their nearest hospital so they can make a choice about which one to go to um, based on, you know, one's thirty minute drive but it'd be an hour wait and one's fifteen minutes drive but it'd be two hour wait or one's forty minutes drive and is no wait. Those kind of things then become really easy to communicate because they're compellingly good. So I think I think this is this is really where it gets the nub of it, is if you've got nothing to say. And if you haven't got any way of improving the way people interact with you, well, then you have to go back and come up with some stuff that does do that, and then then communicate it. it, 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 it it's I wouldn't result, regard myself as a content marketing specialist in any way other than, you know, if you've not got something interesting to say, then really it's a waste of time saying anything at all, because we, we none of us have time, you know, to consume. Um, uh, you know, more media than we already do. Uh, and, and a really lovely example, I think, of, of the way government cons- people consume government media is that in New South Wales, and it be the same in every state in Australia, people get a driving licence every three years. Now, now, for most people, that's the only time they'd interact with government, for many people. Uh, you know, families interact with education websites and, 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 and but it, it's not like a frequent flyers thing. For lots of government websites, people aren't coming back every day. So for me, it's about, have you got something engaging, interesting, that is likely to interest a significant proportion of your audience? Um, from there, the comms experts can help themselves and write the good headlines, uh, find the right media. And as one of your um, previous podcasters said, you have no bones whatsoever in telling the story 50 times, um, if, if indeed there are 50 different channels to tell it through, because that, that's kind of the business we're in. Uh, so I think it, it's... It's almost like the communications bit is the easy bit. Once you've lined up all of the ducks, which is you've got a really clear understanding about your customers, a really clear proposition that you want to offer, and then a really clear understanding about how you frame it in terms of what outcome you want. From there, I think comms is easy again.
1: But you still have to create then the high-quality, compelling content. So you yeah. have to be able to you know, write the headline write the story take the photo make the video create the podcast how well do you think government is positioned to create high quality content
0: uh, that that's also a, a you know a, a fascinating question I, and i was um uh, doing some work recently with gavin scott who's the head, head of abc here and he was saying that you know if government provide him with really good content he's happy to use it you know across the abc framework you know because he's got 24-hour news and a digital channel and so i think there are some um areas where there's an opportunity for government to publish its own content and produce high quality animations of you know of new transport projects or whatever um but i also think that the 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 other level there's there's argument for producing you know 150 words of well-written copy that makes people go all right i didn't know that um and to be honest, you know, there's an awful lot of journalistic and editorial talent out there. And my I personally, because I came from that you know, from publishing world, um, I used to surround myself with people who were great writers and um, and let them write good content rather than, you know, try and squeeze it through some sort of uh, corporate public sector sausage machine, you know, which nobody really wanted. Um, so uh, I, I don't think it's any different Um I've, I've got a very strong view that public sector marketing and private sector marketing have never been so similar as they are now, because you're competing for attention and you've got to be relevant to your customer. Um, nobody is, you know, sitting, waiting for the next pronouncement from a government website.
1: So. Um- and the final piece of the puzzle, or not the final, but there's loads mm. of more things that we can talk about. <laughs> but one thing I do want to grab you just before we go, I want to be respectful of your time. But just oh. I, I want to finish this consulting session for, for, for the audience because it's been fantastic sure. so far. Measurement and evaluation. So, so so, we've understood, we've got our plan in place, we've created our content, we've understood our channels. We're now out there, we're publishing, we're regular, we're consistent. Where we need to be, where we've got something to say is you've made a very good point there that you, you don't want to be annoying People, you don't want to be just throwing stuff out there for the for the sake of it. But we've got a program that we're we're happy with that we can afford. Um, how do we measure and evaluate?
0: It's 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 a the most fundamental thing, and b you know in the um, in the time that I managed government's advertising spending, it, it re- reduced from 100 million dollars to 65 million dollars over a ten-year period, because we were finding new media that were more effective. You know, we moved all of our Uh, recruitment advertising from print onto online saved a heap of money. But more importantly, it was more effective. It got more applicants for jobs. Um, In in amongst all of those changes that have affected all of us, uh, the one principle of marketing that we haven't lost is you have to know what success looks like before you embark on the campaign. So where I see people really struggle is is working out how to measure something that they hadn't worked out what they were going to measure beforehand. And and it's it's simplistic, but I would say, you know, common to every single piece of consulting I've done, is that I encourage people to have a really clear idea about what they want to get out of it. And sometimes it can be that 200 people commented on, on a forum. Sometimes it can be that people turned up to an event, some people could, could vote for something. You have to create the model for people to show that they've um, take apart. Downloading a document, so you know, it's sort of one-dimensional and simplistic. But if your ambition is to get 100 people to download a document, you know, thinking back to old media, um, you know, when we used to put ads in press and tele and radio and TV, we had no idea who'd seen them. We had no idea whether it worked. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, really keen on the notion that if you set yourself really clear ambitions about what you want to achieve, uh, people signing up for a newsletter, whatever it might be, then then you achieve that piece of work, you give it a tick, and then you move on to the next one. Because nowadays, communication isn't about running into the market with $10 million to do a bit of advertising once a year. It's about 52 weeks of the year consistently supplying the information that people need in whatever format they need them. And, you know, some departments are offering RSS feeds to information. Some are offering podcasts. You know, it's, it's all about where do you want to be and if you want, you know, 500 people to download your document, then you style your whole piece of thinking and design around the value of downloading that document. Simplistic example. But so little of that thinking goes on beforehand. And of course, we come from a world where when I go back to my first days in managing advertising for government, we used to test pre and post awareness. You know, did people see the ad or not? Well, you know, if we spent a couple of million dollars on television, they haven't seen the ad, then, you know... I probably don't deserve to have a job. So it, it's always been about and what did they do as a result of seeing the ad. And we've never been in a better place than we are today because on our websites, through our engagement platforms, through things like Facebook, we can ask people. We can get people to tell us what they thought of the ad. They can get, tell us what they've done differently. And I, and I come back to my very good friends in whom I have no equity partnership in New Zealand and they've got a thing online at the moment saying, tell us what you stand for and people are uploading to a random government website their own words around what New Zealand stands for. And all that's happened is New Zealand government have asked the question. So it's, 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 this this is really sums up the whole thing for me, is that whatever you want to achieve, if you've got real clarity about your outcome, and if you've got a comfort with the risk, then it's never been easier. And whisper it quietly, never been cheaper... <laughs> to go and talk to your audience it's, and, it's, and, and it's, the success is just doing it and then doing more of it.
1: It's fabulous, isn't it?
0: It's, it's so
1: exciting. I, I just, every day I wake up, I just get so pumped to be involved, particularly in government communications, because, you know, I'm not much into, you know, the FMCG, the private sector, the consumption stuff, but really in government communications, it simply matters. And Absolutely. if, and, and if you can get, The government communication right, you can actually have a material impact on the quality of life of the citizens and communities that you're engaged with.
0: It's a really, really lovely live example. And and as you say, I went from a world of working on men's magazines and women's magazines and and stuff that really didn't matter at all, to working on the uh, fantastic programs of the Cancer Institute in New South Wales, which has seen the number of smokers in New South Wales drop from 22% of the population to 15% in the last 10 years. Now, not only is that, you know, a good thing, um, it saves the health department a fortune in terms of looking after people with with long term illness, um, and it means all of our, you know, our, as a, as a non smoker myself, it means that the streets are cleaner and the and the air is cleaner. Uh, you know, it's clearly a good thing. Now, all of that has come about through really clear communication, really clear policy levers, and a concerted effort by the government to. You reduce the, the the numbers of people smoking in the state. And, and, and it's the same thing that's happened in every state in Australia, I should say. Cancer Institute's a federated group across the country. But that's really important work. I have
1: a thesis that we are coming into the golden age of communications and it's never going to be important. It will be almost fundamentally the most important thing that government does is to communicate effectively because of the change and the way technology changed, and the way people's habits have changed, and the way the fact that everyone is carrying around, you know, a high-powered computer in their pocket, so you can get get a hold of them. So, this notion of where traditionally, you know, communicators have been sort of, you know, in some ways seen as almost the colouring in department, you know, superfluous <laughs> to, you know, to, to the real needs. But now the communicators are going to be the ones that are going to be in control. There's would you lovely,
0: would you agree with that? Oh, I, 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 I think like most, you know, coming trends, it's already happening around us. And it's only when you stop and think. So this morning in glorious, beautiful Sydney, it's chucking it down. Um, and earlier on today, I was um, on public transport and I have a thing in my pocket that tells me what time the next train is. Now, that's government communication. So I'm not getting wet. You know, it's not inconvenient. The train's coming in two minutes' time because the app on my phone from the government tells me so. And and if, if I could, you know, I'm a bit of a, a bit of a crusader. If I could have one thing about government communication is to make sure everybody understands that's what we do. You know, we make that information available so that people catching public transport on a god-awful morning like today don't have to stand in the rain. Um, Ten years ago... What would we have? A printed timetable maybe in our pocket or, a, you know, who knows? At best. But, yeah, at best. <laughs> and that gets wet pretty quickly, right, in the rain. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's, that's – it, it's, it's perhaps a little trite, but it's also absolutely on the money, which is, you know, the the massive advances that have been made in delivering those things. And, of course, we all – Certainly, people of my generation, all our minds are boggled about where that might be in five years' time. But that's what it's about. It's about making the lives of the people in the state better, and it's about doing it together and finding a way. and I and I, and I, I agree with you. I also think that we're going through a change whereby people are increasingly happy to help the public good, uh, and this kind of notion of the kind of yes, minister notion of government is increasingly, I think, disappearing into the background as. As government does better and better things, and i I have a, a personal crusade to um with all my friends on twitter and and every other media to get people to talk about the good things that are happening in government rather than carping about the odd things that go wrong yeah um, and I, I think it would be a terrific thing if we could just um all work together to to you know really collaborate on all the great things that are happening, like bus apps and train apps, but you know new th- fantastic developments in health and, and whatever that enabled by technology but actually just doing it better.
1: Alan, so much more to talk about. I think we'll have to get you back in a couple of weeks time because you've just shone a light there on something that I really want to explore and it's this notion of collaboration and government collaborating with the private sector in order for us to Strengthen communities and improve the well being of citizens. I think there's a, a massive opportunity, and I know in the UK they've been doing some interesting things in that space, but we have run out of time today. Okay. Um, but thank you very much uh, for coming in and sharing your insights and giving us that consulting session. That was very valuable, and I I know people will have got some great value out of that. I know I did. So thank you very much. You were very kind, very generous with your time. Another great, uh, another great edition of In Transition. I think we are in such an interesting time for communicators. Thanks very much for everyone listening in again today, and we'll see you next week.
0: You've been listening to In Transition, the program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in government. For more, visit us at intransitionpodcast.com.au.